Now we are jumping into 1 John chapter 4 this morning, and I want to read the first six verses that we hope to take through the message today, and we are looking at a theme today that you'll find, which is walking the tightrope of truth, and walking carefully through a tightrope of truth. Beloved, believe, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that, who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who, lis who knows lis God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you were here last week, we were studying on this blessed promise of the word of God that we have assurance in Jesus Christ. It's interesting how John's writing moves into a battlefield that is very, very real and very relevant. It is a battlefield that is warring uh, throughout our country, throughout the world, and even in our own churches, our own society, this battlefield that John addresses here. For a moment, he says, I've got to take you out on the battlefield because I want you to be equipped for what you're going through out there, what you're seeing. And John will begin to identify this as we look into this passage this morning. In the first verse, he tells us what not to believe, if you look with me. Do not believe every spirit. What he's saying is there is a plurality of spirits out there. There's a lot of voices. Just because they say they may be of God or they are right does not mean we should believe that. In the next verse, he, he speaks about what we are to what we can see. I love this about the Bible, is the Bible gives us concrete, definitive truth on which to stand on in the middle of what we might call deception. And here he speaks about, you know the Spirit of God in every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And John is saying, this is what you're to believe and this is what you're to see. Are they confessing that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh? We want to unpack that a little bit more. But then we, 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 we look a little further in the, the next verse, and you kind of find yourself on a little roller coaster here. Hold it. We know what not to believe. We know what to believe. And then John just says, and this, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And John is saying, you can identify that spirit if you are walking in the spirit. You are living in Jesus Christ. It's really about spiritual discernment. Walking in a way in wisdom and righteousness that we can recognize error when error comes, be it presented ever so 
powerfully to us and subtly. And I don't have to tell anyone here that error is being presented in our school systems today, in our, in our larger school systems in such a way that man becomes their own God, that there are no longer any absolutes, that we have the ability to determine our destiny without the Lord. And those are false, and we know that. We recognize the error that comes in so many ways, but John here is speaking to us, and then he's going to go on that fourth verse, and I want to linger there later as the solution, because I love this in the Word of God. And he says, but I want you to see the solution that God is greater. God is more powerful. God's power, even in the middle of darkness, is more powerful. It's not even close. If we will take the, the, the strength that the Lord gives us and give us the power to stand in the middle of those, the, the age we're living in, and then he just simply says, this is who they are. Don't ever forget, verse 5 again, I'm quickly abbreviating. They are from the world. They speak us from the world. The world listens to them. But this is who we are. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. Remember, the world is the world. We're from God, but we're in this warfare. And it's very important that we recognize it's very, very active today. How many of you here have been to the Grand Canyon before? Raise your hand. I'd just like to see, well, I, I had a guess that it'd be a very large percentage of our congregation. Well, it was in, on September 4th of 1860 that something really big happened at the Grand Canyon, and most of you may remember this story because it's been told many times, but I came back to it in the message. It was a, it was, it's the story of the great tightroper Blondin, who walked many, many dangerous tightropes over the top of cliffs. But in, on the September 4th of 1860, they strung a tightrope all the way across the Grand Canyon, 160 feet high, and Blondin began to walk over and all the way back, and the people gathered in a huge crowd. I, I doubt whether it was even legal in those days. Today, I know it wouldn't be legal. There's no way. That guy couldn't have got, got away with this. When he got done, he walked in stilts, right back over the top of the tightrope, all the way, and the crowd was just in awe. When he finished that, he got a bicycle, and he rode his bicycle over the tightrope, all the way and all the way back. And then he walked in the dark. Then he grabbed a 50-pound sack of potatoes and he put that sack in a wheelbarrow and he went with that wheelbarrow all the way over the top of the Grand Canyon, I mean, of the Niagara Falls, and he came back the other way. And then he stopped and he asked a question. He said, who here feels like that if you got in this wheelbarrow, I could wheel you across the Niagara Falls. And everybody said yes. And he said, get in. <laughs> and nobody got in. You know, it was several years later, it's interesting that his own uh, publicity manager, Harry Colkerd, rode on his back across the Niagara Falls. His manager did that later. But as I was thinking about that story and reading it again, I realized how often uh, we're, we're, we're really great rooters. 
And yet God puts us in a fire where the Lord says, get in. And we're not sure we want to get in. And as, as John is taking the time in this epistle, he is defining the battlefield in which he asks us to engage in and be very, uh, very committed to. And he's saying, I'm the one that's going to take you across. I'm going to get you through this. We're going to see this as we look further in the word. And I don't want to get ahead of the message uh, this morning and what God would be telling each of us. us. But in that first verse, he says, beloved, John is using one of several introductions and ways that he would identify his children. Sometimes he said, my little children. Other times he says, my brothers. And here he says, beloved. It's, these are just intimate parts of something that John was driving at throughout uh, his ministry and teachings, and that is how precious fellowship really is in Jesus Christ. But then he says, don't believe every spirit. And what John is doing there is identifying there's a lot of spirits out there that are floating. I guess I'm, I will just confess this to you. Uh, in this congregation last night, I spoke in this message. And there came an attack on my spirit as I was teaching this, this message last night. I have a very sensitive spirit. And I could feel that attack. And the enemy was saying, shut up. Shut up. Because the word of God says, don't believe every spirit. Because what he's saying is, there's all kinds of spirits out there. They all attempt to manifest rightness. They try to declare, I'm right. I have the right way. But John gives us within the text we're looking at today, uh, several tests in which we should, would, would, should give regarding the spirit and whether it's the spirit of God. One of the things when we think about this, he says, I want, you, I want you to test the spirit because many false prophets are gone out in the world. Notice there's spirits and many false prophets and they've gone out in the world and the Lord is saying, I want you to test them. I want you to analyze them. I want you to discern them. Don't say, just say yes. Don't just fall in the trap that Oh yeah, they mentioned God, so I guess they're all going to heaven. Don't fall in that trap, because it is an amazingly deceptive trap. And John is identifying this, and he says, I want you to test the spirits, because there's all kinds of spirits that are going out in the world. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he gave a, he gave a picture to those early disciples as he was speaking just outside the Sea of Galilee in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the, the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few that find it. What he's saying is to find the way that leads to life you're going to find the narrow way. It's not going to be where the masses of people are running toward. It's not going to be where all the crowd is saying it's right. But you know what else he says? There's a broad way and a big gate. And the enemy has a big gate. You can do a lot of things. All you need to do to get through the enemy's gate is choose not to believe in what we're going to see today. 
believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he walked in the Spirit among us. He died among us. He gave his life. But here John is saying there is this narrow way. Jesus is saying there's a narrow way and there is a very broad way. The broad way leads to destruction. People are getting caught in the trap every day because oftentimes there's a trap by the gate. But Jesus says, I'm going to challenge you to walk the narrow way, to think about what God wants, where the path of Jesus would take us, what Jesus would want us to do, where Jesus would want us to be. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21, another, another verse as we think about walking this spiritual tightrope of truth. But examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Examine it, test it, try it, challenge it. And you know what? I want to address something because there is this delicate balance as you're walking the spiritual tightrope of truth. And I guess I, I would love to be able to come here today and say, God took care of all, all that at the cross. You're never going to deal with spiritual warfare. It's not going to be there anymore. We can praise God, we're on our way to heaven, and we're just going to get there. So grab your seat and enjoy the ride. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says there are a lot of pitfalls along the way. And you know what the enemy will do? If he can't get us, he'll get our children. If he can't get our children, he'll try to get our grandchildren. He doesn't care. What he wants to do is get who he can before the very end of time. And here it is. There's this del delicate balance of, of, of trusting in the Lord and yet recognizing there's error around, around us and yet, yet not let cynicism drive our spirit that can so easily overcome us and it results in unbelief. Just becoming cynical. We've seen it all. You can work in churches like I have and pretty soon you, you think, well, I could write the next chapter of the book. But that's not what the Word of God says and Jesus doesn't say that as he is speaking, as he was writing there. But it is still a very, very important important truth. I want us to look at a couple verses in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 12. And it's about a very gr uh, amazing group of people. And they, they, the brethren immediately sent Paul and si Silas away by night to Berea. They were leaving one region, going to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. This was very common in Paul's ministry. He would go where there were people who would listen. He would declare the word of God. And then he says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. He said, there's something different about these folks. And then this is what he says it was. Two things that stood out. They received the word with great eagerness. And so their heart was open to the word of God. And so when the word of God went out, their heart was open. And then they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They received the word, and then they took the word, and they compared the word to say, is it truth? I love this because what it does, it shows two different major dynamics that should exist in every church as we're listening to the word of God. The first is an open heart. If we close our heart, we cannot examine the word to see if it's so. If we try to listen, many times I just pray, God, open my heart but then open the heart of the people. If our heart is closed down, the word's not going to get there. 
We might make a judgment on the word, but the word will not get there. But the Berean brethren, the word of God says, they received the word, their heart was open, and then they searched the word. They searched the word, notice how often, daily, to see if those things were so. And many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek men and women. And some amazing things uh, began to happen in this amazing church. But here it is that John is saying, we are to examine, we are not to believe every spirit. And in verse 2 he says, by this you know the spirit of God. And this is what he says we do know. And this is so important. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What is he saying? He's saying every spirit that declares Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, as Jesus as a solution, as Jesus as the man who even walked among the, in this world to give his life on a cross is from God. But you know what's interesting about that little word, confess? It's not just about verbiage that I say, well, you know, I'm a believer. I, I believe back in 1975, March 1, and that's, that's the story of our life. Those confession is, is more, it's a depth of walk that goes beyond the words. Every spirit. The Word of God will teach something really important again and again. As we're examining truth, examine the message, and examine the walk. Examine the message, examine the walk. Because side by side, Paul would even write back to many of the churches and say, you know how I lived among you. You saw my actions, my attitudes, my goals. I heard the message, you, you heard my message. Then a couple places he said, I just worked as a tent maker among you. But here John is saying, this is what you know. Every, the spirit of God is that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. You, you've got a real powerful nugget of truth to grab whenever you are bombarded. You could be reading a book, and the book may be good, and the book may have a lot of good concepts, but come back to this truth. Is the writer confessing that Jesus Christ has come, from, come in the flesh? The word of God says, if it's so, it's of God. If not, take a step back. Be like those Bereans, Consider the word of God, examine them, see if they were so, because the word of God is amazingly powerful, and it will re reveal truth in many, many ways throughout time. Deb and I, the last area that we were involved in planning a church before we came here was in the Yakima Valley, and my neighbor was a great neighbor. He was an outstanding man, but he was one of the, one of the leading people and one of the leading church planners of one of the fastest growing movements in all of America. And I was told as the church began to grow and the youth began to come, and by this time we had about 50 adults and 50 children. It was, it was similar to that. And he, he reached out one day to me, and he, we owned property right beside each other, and he said, John, all I want is two hours of your time. My wife and I would just love to sit down with you and just talk to you about God because we just love God. So I sat down with Judson, that was his name, for about two hours. And all of a sudden, he is just one of the smoothest men I've ever spoken to in my life. Everything was perfect. The tea was at the right place. The, the nuts were at the right place for me. His wife and him just sat there and smiled. And he asked a lot of questions about us. But one of the first things that happened, 
He flattered us. He told us what great people we were and what a great community we were. And then he reached out and says, this meeting is about how we can walk together. And then he began to talk. And I began to listen. And one of the things he said was, and I jotted this down, was we both love God, but the gospel itself is not sufficient. He says, I like the word of God, but there's another, there's another book that I put just as higher, maybe higher than that book. And all of this was said with a smile. He says, there's been many great revelations, but today the word of God teaches latter revelations because the revelations were corrupted through the ages. And all the time he's speaking and my heart is beating. This goes back about 15 years ago. And he's just reaching out his hand and saying, I just am giving this to you to consider so we can be one. And I think the last thing he said was Jesus was a very great man, a great man, but there's been a lot of great men, a lot of great men. And then he looked at me and he says, what do you have to say? And I can still remember my hands were just shaking and I, had, and I just took my, my, my phone and I just went through four verses. One was, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than what you have heard, let him be accursed. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except by me. And if any man will take away or add from the word of God, God will add, add or take away from his, the plague and everything that is written in the book of life. And there it was that he looked and he stuck out his hand and he says, let's just be friends then, okay? And we were. He died uh, we remain friends till the end of our life. But I say this because in the world we live in, it's very real, and it isn't just with the Judsons of life. It comes in so many ways. And as John is identifying this, he is speaking about that that just wants to beat its, its path right in through the doors of every church, the doors of every home, in the doors of every heart, and just change, just twist just flip whatever, whatever he can do in whatever way that he would like to. But I want us to notice this because it is so beautiful. And in verse 2 when it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. It's just like a, a stake you put down in the ground. Lord, I, I may not understand all this, but I'm listening for a nugget of truth that is so important, that is matched by a walk in Jesus that manifests that truth. And that is, I've got to see that. And it's from God. But if you go with me a little further, he says in every spirit, verse 3, that does not confess that Jesus is, from, it, Jesus is not from God. So we have this, who confesses is from God, who does not confess is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it's coming and it's now already in the world. I love the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is so beautiful because sometimes in the middle of life, God will just drop you a gem in the book of Proverbs and you'll say, this is fantastic. And you may wonder what to do about something this week. And when you seek God, the book of Proverbs will just speak to you in this amazing way. You'll just find God. 
But one of, the, one of the things about Proverbs is there's many themes that are running through the book. But one of these themes you'll find is the theme of wisdom and discernment. Discerning wisely, making wise decisions. And in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon, who most people feel like was the, the man author, God was a, truly the writer, Proverbs chapter 1 he says, as, you, as this comes to you, you will discern righteousness and judgment and equity and every good course. And it is to know wisdom and instruction to discern the ways of under, understanding. You flip over a page to Proverbs chapter 2, and you'll see again the heart of God as the, as the Proverbs were penned, verses 5 and 6. When it says, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And what the writer is saying is Proverbs is just like those stakes. They just go on and they say, you, you, can, you can take it to the bank. You can, you can rely on it. God's truth is going to flow out of the word of God, and God will give us through the word of God, the amazing discernment that we need. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. These are, these are amazing because we've been reading about how, how every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ is not the Christ, is not of God. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ is of God. And we don't have on the screen, if you have, look in your Bibles, you'll, it's a great study, that first chapter regarding this. And he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, we just read a little bit of that, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And he's saying, God is speaking today through Jesus. Even as he is speaking in the word, he is speaking through Jesus. Now, he has spoken through all of these prophets, all of these leaders, many ways, kings, righteous and unrighteous. God was still speaking, but today God is speaking through Jesus. And he says, I want you to see that, that God is speaking through Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is a tremendous work in declaring that Jesus is Lord not only today, but all the way back through the Old Testament, Jesus was speaking. And it's important as we look at this, and the Word of God says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And then he says, this is a spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it's coming and it's now already in the world. industry we were in, we were in the chemical industry for many years, but, but one of the things amazing, the other day I was in, down here at Home Depot and I was looking at all of the, the active ingredients in all the different packages because I can remember the active ingredients that's behind the formulation that comes and brings the chemistry together that creates the herbicide that kills the weed. But all of a sudden what caught me was so amazing is on the outside of this is packaging that it looks so common, so attractive. It's there to 
grab the buyer and to get the buyer to sell, buy. They want to sell. They want us to buy. They put a lot of different kinds of packaging on. And as I was looking at that, I just thought about something I heard an, an old pastor say many, many years ago. And he says, just remember to be wary of the pint of poison in the lake of truth. Just watch for that. I think oftentimes when, when the enemy comes at us, he don't throw a lake of, a lake of untruth at us with a pint of truth. He, he does it the other way. He surrounds us by good. He surrounds us by everything that feels good. Uh, maybe even great fellowship. Maybe, uh, I don't know what all that means because every situation is different. But what, what happens so often is the enemy wants to drop the pint of poison. Over here on Highway 60 is the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad where some of that packaging is applied for weed control. For many years, the company that we used to be a part of and own would have provided that service, and they still do today. But you know what's really amazing about that? You know why the Burlington Northern and the, all of your large railroads are so passionate about that there has got to be total weed control of those roadbeds, and there can't be any weeds whatsoever that come up? It's because they recognize that where there is one little weed, a person can trip over that weed and they are responsible and they will be liable for litigation. And we live in a very litigious world and you all know that. And I've lived in that world where someone has tripped in one, a one foot by one foot weed in a given city and claimed he was maimed for life when no one was looking and he worked for the same company yet for five more years. But when he was finally fired, a suit was thrown at the railroad, which they brought to me to indemnify them because I was a weed contractor and I'd never been out on that property ever. But here it is, there is this, but they have something called zero tolerance in the railroad. A lot of times people think the railroad is like, I've just been working on the railroad all the live long day, having a great time. It's easy, everybody's doing everything and it's really cool. No, it's not that way. That railroad over here is like Sky Harbor Airport. It's watched that closely. You can go downtown Fort Worth, Texas, and you will find a war room that's 200 yards by 200 yards square, and you'll have 200 people this morning on monitors in that room watching every segment of that railroad because they know the risk is so high. If one mistake is made, it's going to be the death of someone. Matter of fact, you'll find this interesting. A train traveling at 59 miles an hour loaded with cargo, if it will brush a person with a half inch of their body, will kill the people. It is that powerful. The velocity of power coming from that track. We have a brother in the front row here who is a train master for the same company, and I hear it, see him nodding his head. The power. The railroad says this, we can't afford death. Do you know this was the heart of John as he's writing this? That little pint of poison in the lake of truth can cause death. It can trip people up in all kinds of ways. It gets our eyes off of Jesus. I think the enemy is so good about just getting our eyes off of Jesus. And all of a sudden we're diverted and we're looking somewhere else. And we forget that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, as, we, as I think about this area in, in Hebrews, one of the, the beauties of Hebrews is like, let the sun keep shining. 
Let the sun shine everywhere. Let him shine brightly. Don't let anything cloud the sun, the shining of the Lord Jesus in any way. And yet there's clouded truth. The sun doesn't shine quite as brightly. Have you ever been there when there's just a, a, a veil of clouds between you and the sun and it doesn't quite get to you? Many Christians have lived in that world for a long time. And I've been there too. The clouds have just came over. Oh God, if you can just fix all of this, I'll really start serving you. I'll see your son again. But the enemy is so clever and he'll bring the most deceptive ways to try to bring the cloud over truth. Then there's just the shaded truth. You just bring, here's the sun shining on the tree, God's kingdom, and just cast a little shade on the truth and see what we can, we can do with that. Another one is just take part of the truth, partial truth. Not all the truth, just partial truth. You can believe that just like Pharaoh did to Moses, you can go out there, you can serve the Lord, leave Egypt, but let your children stay back. Another time he says, let your cattle stay back. Not all of it. And, and you get this area of clouded and shaded and partial and perverted truth. Then you have another one, and that is Jesus plus and Jesus minus. Jesus, if I just have Jesus plus this, I'll be happy. Or, you know what? I want Jesus, but I don't want that. And the enemy is amazingly clever. He comes in so many ways. And he comes into our lives. And have you ever noticed how one error can create two? Because what happens, here's error one. And what happens so often is as another person like myself sees error one, if I'm not careful, in my response to error one, I jump into error two. I never expected it. I was just correcting what was there. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed over the years when you were young, and I don't know if the young people still do this, but we used to just play tug wars, kids. And we'd get a big rope. That thing might have been two inches in diameter. We'd get the strongest guys at church or at school. We'd line up in both ends. And these were big boys and big girls. And we would just give it all we had. And you know, you might have thought you were strong, but when that that rope began to move the other way, you recognize you're going to lose at some point. You understand that. Then I noticed something that came to me, like probably the rest of you at some time. Hey, guys, let's just let go. <laughs> we'll lose, but they'll lose too. You see what happens? We move outside the realm of truth. It happens so easily. Our reactions can carry an action that takes us beyond the area of truth and without knowing it in our attempt. Just like look at the Apostle Paul. He was that persecuted the church and he was just working so powerfully in all these ways. But then Paul himself was struck down because he was pursuing truth so hard that he had missed Jesus. This happens to us too. It happens right in the middle of Calvary Chapel surprise. We chase truth. We can even chase what we want to be and forget what God wants us to be. We can chase what we want our legacy to be when we're gone and forget that God's legacy is that which must endure forever. 
what matters in this church, brothers and sisters in succession in this church in every single level, is when any one of us walk out these doors, that there's one person remembered, and that's it. His name is Jesus. That's it. When we lose that, we have fallen into another trap that, that I believe John was seeing in those early stages called spiritual idolatry, and we begin to worship men and cause men to rise up to levels in which God will share none of his glory. He's a jealous God, and he will share none of his glory, and God is God. But, but I want us to notice, because we're going we're to jump down. We've just got a couple more minutes here. Remember, we see what we don't, we, what, what's happening, all these spirits, what we don't want to be. We got what we can know in verse 2. We, we, can, we know how we can see it in verse 3. Every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is, is not from God. But then we can see how we can know that this is the spirit of the Antichrist. But in verse 4, we get another one of those amazing verses that say you can just rest in this verse. You can trust God here. You can find strength here in the most amazing way. Now, John has been writing about a tremendous conflict that wages in the Christian church even. But now John goes, now I want to give you the promise that allows you the power to ride above the conflict. And let's read this carefully together. Verse 4. You are from God, little children, promise one. You're God's kids. He's been writing about this through the epistle. You're in a different kingdom. You are from God, you are from God, little children. And you know what you've done? You have overcome them. And we say, hold it, how did I do that? And John says, this is why, because greater is he who is in you, that is Jesus, than he is, that is in the world. He's not saying you've, you've made it. He's not saying you're strong enough. He's not saying you're connected deep enough. What he's saying is you have overcome because of him within you. Giving you a power that gives you the ability to discern right from wrong, truth from error, lies from truth. You have the ability to overcome through Jesus Christ. And I love how John ends this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's like you're a winner through Jesus, but you didn't do it. But he did it through you. Because you came to that place that you ask Jesus to do it through you. You have overcome because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. You know, I go back to that trampoline, that, that tightrope walker, and we're talking about walking that delicate tightrope of truth today. And in many ways, it's exceedingly delicate. It has so many pitfalls but what the Lord does is he went to the cross is he's the one that says, get in. It's not Blondin saying, get in. It's not some great person saying, get in. He's saying, I want you to get in because you have overcome and recognize greater is that he, he that's in you than he that's in the world. I wonder today how many great athletes are going to play probably just the game of football just today. It's going to be hundreds of, of athletes. And what they do is they go out there, and you're only playing if you leave everything on the field. If you stop leaving everything in the field, the coach will take you right out. You give it everything you got. You leave it on the field. You pour your heart in the task. 
But you won't find many of those players this entire weekend that don't blow it. They blocked the wrong guy. They dropped the ball. They didn't read the defense properly. They were exploited and almost looked like a fool when they got all done. But you know what the power of that team winning the game is? You get back up and you say, why am I here? Who am I? And I'll give it everything I got. I'll pour my life, my, my, in the next play, I'll give every single thing I've got. You don't walk the Christian life very long without blowing it. It just doesn't happen. Probably someone here, I had a brother last night tell me I got caught in the snare of, of religion for years, and I, I never realized it until later. And there could be many testimonies in this church like this. But the beauty of, of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is by his power you get back up and you say, who am I? I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. He's greater in me. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and I'm going to live for Jesus when I walk out these doors. Look at the next couple of verses from, with me in verses 5 and 6. Here he says, they are from the world. This is those very ones that are trying to deceive. He says, don't forget they're from the world. They might say we're just like you. I remember one of the old prophets that were, was deceived by a, another prophet that says, I'm just like you. He stayed overnight, and it caused great tragedy. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. They've got an audience. But John is saying something really important here, and that is the children of God do not need to be their audience. We are not their audience, but they, they have an audience. There will be people that will listen. You can preach the gospel of selfism. You can preach the gospel of good works. You can preach the gospel of a better religion. You can preach the gospel that you've got to find only the right church. You'll find an audience. But it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what John is driving on. Because here in that sixth verse, and I, I want to end here today because it's so beautiful. He says, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. And I love that because what he's saying when we're talking about deserting spiritual truth and, and walking that tightrope of truth, there is a very important exercise that must exist with all Christians, and that is the exercise of listening. Don't stop listening. Jesus himself said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. It doesn't matter about church. God, what do you want from me today here? But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's reading the word of God. God, what do you have for me? God, I'm out here in this mess of a world, but I want to hear your voice. I want to listen and hear from you. And this is what John is saying. We are from God, and he who knows God, she who knows God, listens to us. I love that because... Sometimes we can get overwhelmed even with our own children and our grandchildren and our uncles and aunts and friends and people. There's messes everywhere in this church, and I know that. Everywhere. There's struggles with, in all kinds of ways in this church. But, but I want give, to give you this to, to grab today and hang on to. He that is from God will hear us. Okay? 
I love that verse even for the parent that today, one of you parents out here says, if you train up a child in the way he's, he, he should go, when he's old, he won't depart. He's going to keep hearing the word. He hears us. John says, he that is from God listens to, he, he who knows listens to us, and he who is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John doesn't get done with this little passage and say there's no more spirit of error. But what he is saying is if you look at the tightrope of truth that you're called to walk, the path is clear. Yes, it's a straight gate. It's a narrow way, but it's clear. You keep listening to God. You keep looking for Jesus. You keep sensing where he's speaking. You follow him. You listen to his message. You listen to his word. You see the exalted Christ. And John says, when this happens, we know, by this we know. In that last sentence that we're coming to today, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And I love that because John's saying, you don't have to walk out the door going, I wonder. We talked about that last week. I hope, maybe, maybe I'll make it if I can finally check off my list when I finally get there. That's not what the word is teaching. The word of, the word of God is teaching, listen to God. Just listen to God and let him lead the way. He has a voice that goes all different ways. Sometimes it's just a whisper. I had a friend from Indiana last week. He just wrote, sent me one, all he had in one message. I was on this. One little, one little message was like eight ways God speaks. He does. He'll give you the power to chart the path. He'll give you the desire to follow him. But, but more importantly today, he gives you the strength to discern between truth and error. And where he takes you is where we want to go. That's where we want this church to go. It is far more important that you're listening to God than listening to me. What you need to do is take the word of God and listen carefully. And then listen to what God is saying to you. Because he's speaking. And I guess as we come to the end of this, and I look at this last little phrase, I say, take consolation. I'm letting the rest of the thoughts go today. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And he's saying, you can walk out these doors in Jesus Christ and have the assurance that God's with you. And you can resist all of those errors by his grace. But if there's someone here today, and there is, who has listened to the other spirit. You've listened. He's dropped a tantalizing untruth. He's dropped another one. He's dropped another one. You bit the bait. I want to encourage you that today is the day that you can come to this place, to this altar, and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are completely the Son of God. You gave your life as a perfect sacrifice. You walked in the flesh among men. And because of that, I'm going to honor you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're going to have communion in a very short time. But if God is speaking to you, this time of communion is for those who have listened and heard from God. If you haven't been there yet, you can, you can partake of these emblems. They'll be here, but they will not mean the same to you until you've responded to God. And you hear his voice. And you say, Lord, here I am. Just take me and lead me and guide me. And then you become one of those like the rest of us who is from God. He knows you. 
and you know him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thank you, God, that uh, you never leave us helpless. You never leave us alone. You guide us all the way, Lord. You never forsake us. You're always there. Lord Jesus, have your way in this sanctuary. Lord, may the deception of the enemy just be cast out. Out. May he find no welcome place in the sanctuary of our heart, which would also translate into the sanctuary of this church. But it would be a place of safety and shelter and joy and peace and love because you love us with an everlasting love, Lord. And we desire that you would have your way among us. And as we enter into this special time of communion, Lord, we realize It's only possible for us to say yes to you because you said yes to us. And because of that, Lord, we are forever indebted to your grace. And we remember that this morning in Christ's name. Amen.